0: Tartar Project, episode 21. We're in season two. Phil Toronto here. Tonight, today, this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, we have Alex Friedman, a friend of mine, but also co founder of Lola, which is a feminine care brand based here in New York City. I'm especially excited about this episode A, because technically, well, not technically, I'm an investor through Vayner RSC in Lola, so that's a disclosure. I think legally I have to do that, allegedly, not sure. Secondly, to this day, Alex and Jordana's pitch for Lola is one that I cite as one of the best and most thought-provoking that I have received. I was genuinely shocked at the opacity of the feminine care industry and the way that Alex and Jordana laid it out just blew my mind and I knew that they were really onto something. One thing that I really appreciate that came out during the episode is Alex walking us through just the amount of care that goes into developing Lola as a brand because Lola is meant to follow a woman along through her entire lifetime and cover all of her needs from start to finish throughout the feminine care journey. So I'm glad that she was able to walk us through some of the thinking that went behind the marketing and the product development and the roadmap. We also talk about a fun little tidbit involving everyone's favorite Lizzo. You'll get to that later in the episode. But before I turn it over to Alex and me, I definitely, definitely urge you to rate me five stars on iTunes, follow me on Spotify, share out the podcast, Tartar Project, tell all your friends. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you coming back to listen. If this is your first episode, thank you so much. If this is the 21st episode, thank you, thank you, thank you. More to come. And if you have any feedback, please let me know. Without further ado, Alex Friedman of Lola. We're back with the Tartar Project. We have a very special guest today, one of my good friends, Alex Friedman, the co-founder of Lola. Alex, thank you for doing this podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It is so my pleasure. We are doing the first of its kind format for the Tartar Project where we're actually holding microphones sitting on a couch uh, in the Lola HQ. This is a first for me. It's very relaxing. It looks very official and your employees probably think we're nuts. So thank you for putting up with that as well.
1: They are right.
0: (laughs) They are absolutely right. Um, Just before we dive in, could you tell the listeners what Lola is?
1: So Lola is the first lifelong brand for her. We launched in 2015 with cotton tampons in a subscription format. And over the last four years have been building a lifelong brand to get her the products, content, and community she needs in every life stage.
0: Amazing. And... We're going to take a bunch of steps back. Where'd you grow up? New York City. And did you have entrepreneurial endeavors as you were growing up? Or was school important to you? Or did you not give a shit about school? Or were you not able to not give a shit about school? Where did you fall on that spectrum?
1: I gave a shit about school. I was very focused on learning and getting good grades. And you know, trying to do well in the academic environment. I wasn't entrepreneurial outside of the classroom or school environment, but I always tried to, you know, take a leadership role and do something new within the environment at school. So for example, I was the editor of our school newspaper and, you know, always tried to innovate about what type of content students were reading.
0: Ahead of your time, I'd say.
1: Super ahead of my time.
0: People weren't really talking about content back then.
1: it was the 90s. It wasn't that long ago,
0: (laughs) but they weren't talking about it. That's right. And you went to college. That's correct. And also got an MBA nailed it. And what what did you do right after the MBA? Were you inspired to then go and start a company or did you enter the workforce?
1: So I had no desire to start a company when I came out of business school. It was 2011. The economy was, uh, you know, debatably recovering, but still not great for startups. Uh, And I went to join a management consulting firm and wanted to understand how big companies solve their big problems.
0: And did you understand how big companies solve their problems?
1: Uh, I mean, you know, I was there for two years. (laughs) I'm (laughs) I'm not editing that out. (laughs) Please don't. I probably worked on like five or six different projects, saw a lot of really big problems and understood what some of the root causes were. I'm not sure I solved any of them, but I certainly developed the muscle around like, how would you approach starting to solve some of these problems?
0: Fair. And then did that lead you to flurry?
1: Yeah, that led me to Flurry. So while I was there, um, I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to be at a growth, smaller company, and kind of started looking around at the one and a half year mark in consulting, and found something that was pretty risk um, less for me because <laughs> yeah. it was a late stage startup with you know 150 people with good backing and strong leadership, and the person who was hiring me and had actually gone to the same business school and. Um, consulting firm as me. So I understood exactly how she thought. So it it was a step into startup land in the safest way possible.
0: Nice little toe dip. Yeah. What what did Flurry do exactly?
1: It was an ad tech company and they had a a free analytics platform that like app developers could install into their app to track usage and installs. Um, And then they had products that were monetized on top of that, like ad solutions.
0: And then Flurry actually got acquired, so yep. you saw somewhat of that process because you yeah. were higher up in the food chain at Flurry. You had a date a dope role. I don't dape. I think is where it was going. I had a
1: dope role, yeah. yeah. So I uh, was on the analytics team, and my last week at Flurry was the first week at Yahoo post acquisition. Cool. So I actually got to experience what it was like to to be in an acquired company. And then I got out and started Lola. Fair.
0: <laughs> and when did you meet Jordana?
1: I met Jordana this uh, spring of 2014.
0: And in what context? How did how did you guys come together? And how did you even get to the point? And this is probably a couple of months or years down the road. How did you get to the point of wanting to start a company with Jordana?
1: So we met spring of 2014 through our husbands. Um, Carrie and Jesse knew each other, they introduced us as friends and we went out for a drink and Jordana had been thinking about the early concept of Lola, you know, why in, you know, 2014 when women know what's in every product that goes on and in their body is the tampon industry any different and why is there no subscription company that actually brings the customized assortment of products to your door, just like in every other category. Um, and we just started having a conversation about it and over the course of a few months of getting to know each other, decided to start a company together
0: and then went on the fundraise trail, which is probably where I spent the most time with you before we started hanging out outside of work, I guess, because my partner in crime at the time was your husband, Carrie, still close to this day. We have plenty of inside jokes that I'm very proud of. Um,
1: we don't have to tell them today, do we?
0: We do not. And we won't. We will not. Good. They would never survive this podcast ever.
1: They would get edited out.
0: Definitely. Okay. Definitely. They're that bad. Not as in content is terrible. They're just bad jokes. Yeah. Um but what resonated with me and what really blew me away and what I cite to this day is your pitch. Um it actually blew my mind that there was no regulation. There is no need for a manufacturer to disclose what's in arguably the most intimate product of anyone's life, which is insane. And it's also the most surefire subscription business that you could possibly start. So yep. I still cite to this day what some of the best pitches that we've ever received were, and it's Lola. Thank you. Um, even outside of the nepotism angle, where you came in through a very <laughs> highly vetted <laughs> introduction through Mr. Kellogg, but I, I definitely that out in the world.
1: Yeah. I mean, something that I've always thought is really interesting is that it's so obvious. Like, of course you should know what's in the product that goes inside your vagina for a week, a month, for 40 years. Of course, if your period on average arrives every 28 days, you'll need that product and many people are forgetful. So why wouldn't we want it delivered to our door? But because there's so much stigma in the industry, like the obvious points never were discussed before. So it wasn't really necessarily about the idea after that, because we had so many conversations with people where everybody was like, of course that business should exist, yeah. and suddenly it just became about execution.
0: Totally. And how long were you operating before you decided to go out and fundraise? Because it is obviously going to be a capital-intensive business, because you have physical products, a bunch of SKUs, and you need to get in front of a ton of eyeballs.
1: Yeah, so we weren't operating at all. We like had put together a pitch deck and a financial model, both of which are pretty embarrassing when I look back on them. <laughs> Um, you know, we had been iterating on the idea for four or five months before we started meeting with investors. Um, we raised over the course of three to six months and then a few months later we launched the business.
0: And how, what, what did launch day feel like for you?
1: Uh, it was pretty empowering. It was exciting. I think um, it was just Jordana and me, and we had hired a couple of people, like we had an, an intern and one or two hires, um, and we were worried about everything, right? Like, would the website work or would it go down? Would we send the right products to the right people? Were you know were the partners that we chose? gonna actually be good partners with the brand land would anybody care would the press actually write about us so there was just a lot of anticipation from spending a year doing something and then finally Unvailing releasing it to the world yep
0: that's also, borderline terrifying, I, I would say. Yeah. probably. But nothing, really nothing has been like
1: that ever since because now everything we introduce is, you know, an extension or we're iterating on something. We have big product launch days or big announcements, but it's never the same as not existing and then existing.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> the hardest. Yeah, probably. Um, when was it maybe a little bit after launch day? Did it start to feel like we were on the right track and our hypotheses were right? And I think we should. Well, not I think we should continue with this because obviously you're going to continue with it. You have passion for it. But when was there any specific moment that where you saw X number of orders or the press picked it up in the right way and were actually listening and writing about your message?
1: Yeah. So before we launched, we had 10 or 15 focus groups, maybe like eight months before launch. And we went to LA, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, um, and sat down with women and asked them about their periods, like whether they'd ever shared their first period stories, what products they used, what brands they used, what they liked, what they didn't. And the first five or 10 minutes of those conversations were always really awkward, just like getting people to use vocabulary they never had used before. But then it was just hours of sh- sharing and oversharing. And, you know, we could barely end the sessions. And the thing that we knew was magic was that you know, nobody had ever had these conversations before that was leading to uninformed choices in the category. So could we create those conversations at scale would be like the driver of our early success or not. And the thing that we saw when we launched the brand was those conversations were happening. They were happening in a digital format in public, not behind closed doors for the first time ever. First time ever, you know, people were tagging their friends and saying, Hey, check out this new cool tampon brand. Yeah. I love these women. This what a great idea. Why haven't I ever thought about what's in this product? And that gave that was the proof point for us where we were like, okay, this really is, you know, mission oriented. People get what we're trying to do and stigma isn't going to prevent this from succeeding.
0: Definitely. And post launch, every the business is firing, you're shipping the right tampons to the right people. It's it's working ish. <laughs> were there any gaping holes in either The hires that you made where you're like, I wish that we had this person in this role, that would have alleviated some stress? Or was it just kind of focused on the future, keep growing, keep growing, keep growing, and keep the train on the tracks? Um, Or likely a little bit of both.
1: There weren't a lot of gaping holes because we were obsessive about learning from entrepreneurs before we launched the business and understanding what their gaping holes had been and like trying to address those in advance. As far as hires, we only had a few people on the team, but it was actually really good for us to be so lean early on because that meant Jordana and I had to learn every role. Um, And as we've grown, that has been really helpful for us to, you know, for pattern recognition and to be able to kind of flexibly step into anything as needed as the business changes. Um, So there weren't a lot of gaping holes. Like there were a lot of learnings, um, but nothing that stands out as like a major challenge. Great. Yeah. Sounds
0: great from i guess not post launch but when when did you start ideating on the next product or set of products
1: so when we launched the business we were tampons only and you know menstrual care in the US is a couple billion dollars tampons are only 1 billion of that so there are pads and liners pads are a more commonly used product and we didn't have manufacturing plans to produce those. And so it took us another year after launch to get pads and liners to market to actually be like the brand that's there for her in a multi-product category where a majority of consumers use more than one product. So that was a barrier to purchase that we had to address right away. Um, from there we decided we wanted to really own the period. Um, so like what, what else could we do to innovate in this category apart from the core products? And so we talked to the community a lot and something we heard a lot was that parents didn't know how to have the first period conversation with their, um, adolescent daughters. And so we created a first period kit with like, you know, aggregating all the products we already had, putting together a book with doctors to answer all the questions about changing bodies, um, and make sure that parents and their kids felt supported through this life stage. Um, we also created a new category in periods called cramp care. Um, 90% of Ooh. women experience cramps during their periods and you know, conventional wisdom is just take a all numb the pain, try not to think about it. But there are actually vitamins you can take on a daily basis to prevent cramps from happening. Like imagine if you had enough red blood cells to actually prevent your uterus from cramping. Um, and also we created an essential oil that um, is, has a warming sensation that you can put on kind of on the go and minimize cramps.
0: That sounds like it would be relieving. Exactly. That I will take your word for that. When, when did you go out to raise a series A?
1: So we raised, so we've raised four rounds of capital so far. Our seed was in 2015. Uh, or, sorry. Our friends and family was 2015. Our seed, um, was wait, no, I can't even remember. 2014 to 15, we raised a friends and family. 2015 to 16, we raised a seed. And later in 2016, we also raised an A, I believe. Um, We actually were preempted for that round and weren't out raising capital. That's the best. um, But found a great partner and went for it. Cool. Yeah.
0: You brought up a really good point that I probably should have dove into earlier, but What does it take for you to get comfortable with a supplier and how do you identify suppliers that have the right values and even the right supply chain for you uh, and the brand? Because that's so important to the message and the women that you're supplying.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it really depends on the industry. For us, uh, you know, there was a very limited pool of good suppliers globally that could produce this product. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to, there are a limited number of manufacturers that actually make the right machines. There are a limited number of suppliers who actually vet that the raw ingredients are coming from an appropriate source and being cleaned the right way and processed the right way. Um, and so there were really, you know, once we surveyed the landscape, you could probably count on one hand the number of suppliers we actually wanted to work with. Um, and from there, it was a question of, you um, You know, do we want to work with a smaller one or a much bigger one, and who would work with us? And so, when we started the business, our primary supplier was a smaller, like best-in-class supplier of tampons. And as we've scaled, we've started to partner with some of the larger players,
0: which is exciting. Yeah, and you've actually you've expanded into products for men as well, uh, into for everyone. Yeah, everyone. You're equal opportunity now. Um, How was that a different process thinking through? that new segment of the business, because it was a little bit ancillary to who you've been focusing on previously.
1: So in our mind, um, so we're trying to build a lifelong brand for women, which kind of goes from her first period to when she's starting to have sex, when she's thinking about pregnancy, to when she is in perimenopause, menopause, and then beyond. And um, for us, sexual wellness was actually additive for our current customer base because um, it, it was a very similar story in the sexual wellness industry, where for the most part, Men are buyers of condoms. Um, And so a woman ends up in a sexual experience and a product comes out of a box. She doesn't know what the ingredients are. Um, Regulation is questionable, right? Like the condom manufacturers aren't required to list what is in the lubricant on their condoms. Um, And suddenly there's a product that she hasn't purchased and there's no ingredients transparency and it's in her body. So it felt like a really easy story for us to say, um, hey, have you ever wondered what's on a condom? And also, Um, with this information, do you feel empowered maybe to become the purchaser and to take control of this aspect of your life? And so we started selling condoms, lubricant and wipes all with that same philosophy of ingredients, transparency, and trying to be as natural as we can be in a world where you also want to be effective.
0: Definitely. That's, I I love that. I actually didn't think about that until this moment. I just accepted the product that of course they're going to go into sexual wellness, but did not think through on the other side that it's equally as opaque. Yeah,
1: it's all opaque, products. and it's kind of the same conversation through reproductive health, where there's not enough ingredients transparency, and women aren't able to make informed choices, and the brands are totally unrelatable. Also, like totally. you, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to name the brands, but you know what happens when you go look at a box of condoms? It's not marketed to women.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a Greek soldier. Exactly. So with, with a mission-driven company, and with growing number of SKUs and the brand is is such an important part of why somebody would actually purchase Lola. I assume you have to build a pretty robust team. How how has your hiring strategy changed since you have done a lot of the jobs that you have now hired for? And are there any tips and tricks for finding the right candidate quicker or just any way you've gotten more comfortable with candidates earlier that you've learned?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... Like in the very early days, we were looking for generalists who spiked in some areas but could be a, a jack-of-all-trades and kind of take on whatever was needed. Over time, people have become way more specialized, and so we rely a lot more on historical experience and you know, potentially even having outsiders like our advisors interview folks to make sure that the right skills are there. Um, the thing that has been constant the whole time is that everyone we hire has to be entrepreneurial. You know, we are a startup We're we have 40, 45 people today for most of the company's history. We only had 10 or 15 people on the team. Um, and everybody has to be flexible and own their own work and be highly communicative and, you know, Trying to figure out how to innovate in their own area of the business.
0: Totally. And take ownership.
1: And take ownership.
0: Yeah, that's huge. What has you excited in the next six months or so? And it doesn't even have to be related to Lola.
1: Um, well, my mind is thinking about Lola right now. Great. Um,
0: I just wanted to give you the out.
1: Well, okay. Uh, the thing that has me excited is building something bigger than where we started. So... For the first few years of the business, we were really focused on growing in a direct to consumer format. You know, this is the channel where we're selling products. We have a unique advantage here because we're hearing back. we're selling directly to our consumer. We're hearing back from her. And we always have this um, incredible virtuous cycle where we are able to process feedback and get things to market more quickly. And that has driven a lot of our success to date. But I can see a lot of other gaps in the market, community gaps, content gaps, digital product gaps physical product gaps like bringing it all together into a much more developed ecosystem is really what the next 5 years look like um and we hired a leadership team over the last 12 months oh, and so Jordana and I finally actually have the the space to to think about those things and focus on strategy and figure out how and where to invest rather than be kind of operating all day, every day. And, um, it's been exciting to think about what this could become and totally. w- you know, what direction do we want to take it in
0: bigger picture? Fun. Yeah. I imagine. So do you plan on keeping the product roadmap a little bit closer to the chronological path, like the natural evolution of the entire women's health life cycle, or will you kind of jump around from here on out potentially? Well,
1: Yeah. We're not married to chronology. I think, um, we're, we're trying to solve big problems. So like definitely always evaluating what are the big market opportunities and what are the biggest pain points for her and how can we get to those things fast?
0: Definitely. And I have to ask, I was with you when something pretty monumental happened. Lizzo lit up the Lola comments. That's true. (laughs) Did Lizzo end up getting some tampons?
1: Yes. And a reply. Huge. Huge. We, you, you were the one actually that noticed that she had replied to us. It was Claire. It was Claire. It
0: was Claire. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I, I helped explain who Lizzo was. That's true. Yeah. To most <laughs> the of the folks in the room. To yes. our mid
1: thirties. Yep. Friends. And
0: like there were flute videos and all kinds of, of fun stuff. Um, Labor so, Day weekend. Yeah. It was huge. It was absolutely stunning. Big day for me.
1: Big day for me too.
0: Yeah. I thought so. <laughs> I was very excited by that. <laughs> I just had to mention it. Um, I'm not sure when this is going to come out, but it's still going to be relevant. You're it's like, I just
1: want to mention celebrities on my podcast. Yeah,
0: that this- has proper <laughs> brand identification and feminine care. That's true. Yep. I mean, I don't see Drake commenting. That's a big You never for know. him. You I never know. know. That's right. We should keep an eye out. It's fine. Um, what in terms of, of products, what do you have identified that you can share in the next couple months or next year or so?
1: Like what is our product roadmap?
0: Yeah. What do you, what's coming next? Can't share. Great.
1: Actually I can share one thing. Okay. Um, which is we are relaunching a few of our core products oh, cool. in the upcoming months. Um, one in particular is pads where, um, innovation has been completely stagnant for decades. And for example, if you look at one of the mainstream pads, um, like if you actually look closely at it, it's not designed to fit a woman's form. Um, And there are a lot of things about it that are unappealing. And we will be, relaunching our pads product next year um, in a way that really makes sense for her. And I think we'll drive a lot of open conversation in an area that has had no conversation to date. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah.
0: And it helps you harbor community a little bit and get that conversation out there. Kind of like you saw with the first launch with the tampon. Yep. That's exciting. And Hopefully
1: it will convey to our audience, Hey, we hear you. Like we've heard you for the last few years. We know that this part of the industry is broken. We took all your feedback. We made something better and like, hope you like it.
0: Absolutely. Have you have you branched out into the offline world for any marketing? Like, Do you believe in experiential? Do you feel it's important for your brand? Do you want to do more of it?
1: We've done some offline marketing. So um, mostly we're focused on digital customer acquisition at the very beginning. Um, also spent a lot of time obviously on grassroots, building an ambassador community, having focus groups. Um, Press was very important as, you know, a credible voice that we're in a medical device category. So we needed, you know, both press and the medical community to advocate for what we were doing. Um, Over time, we've started some offline advertising. So, you know, subway campaigns, direct mail, TV, radio, um, all of it has proven pretty effective for us because um, many of them are good storytelling formats. And um, our marketing message is actually... Quite complicated. It has to start with have you ever wondered what's in this product and then introduce Lola versus, you know, in a lot of categories, you already know you have a problem and it's just the brand that you're advertising. Totally. Um, Experiential, we haven't spent a ton of time with, but we do like pop up at um, conferences and stuff and have felt that um, if we can create a safe space in a physical format for, you know, women to have conversations about their reproductive health, they will come and they will do that. Um, But haven't done anything like that at scale.
0: Another uh, avenue that I feel like you've done a really good job on is partnerships with other brands and making sure that Lola is present where it's potentially needed most, like in the right restrooms for the target customer. And I feel like you do a very good job of identifying the ancillary brands that the Lola woman actually will be at and wants to be at. So is there any secret sauce to how you identify them or are you kind of just take a poll from the team and, and everyone knows the brand so well that that kind of just happens naturally
1: yeah we've kind of organically just created our list over time at this point we're in 150 different business bathrooms you know equinox is one where we've gotten a lot of brand awareness for being in all of their bathrooms we're in SoulCycle. you know facebook google um And it's been really amazing to actually be where she is because we hear a lot from our customers who already buy the products like, oh, I didn't have one with me at the gym. Like, thank goodness this was in the bathroom. Um, So we're just trying to extend our reach there.
0: Amazing. And in jumping back to your team, has there been any one culture focused event or party that you've thrown that's been the most fun for you that you would want to repeat?
1: What a great question. So we have a party every year on July 8th on our company's birthday Cool, and it's always really fun and we always do like kind of quirky stuff. Um, and you know, for example, uh, an example of a quirky thing that we're doing at the upcoming holiday party is everybody has to come prepared with their own home written jingle and we're having a jingle contest. Um, but something I remember from, I think it was our second birthday party, was that Jordana and I hired a pink gorilla to come sing um, a handful of songs that had Lola in it <laughs> to the team. That's and amazing. Yeah. I think everyone thought we were crazy. Yeah. It was funny.
0: There's a fine line between genius and crazy I read somewhere on the internet.
1: I'm not sure which side of the yeah, line we were on. Okay.
0: That's okay. That's not up to you to decide. Right. It's fine. <laughs> Either way, it's working. So right. it's fine. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, before I let you go, where can people find you? Either you personally on the internet or Lola, where where would you like to drive the listeners? And I will link to this in the show notes so you don't have to worry about like spelling URLs or anything.
1: Mylola.com. There it is. It's our website.
0: Great. And what's your Instagram handle?
1: Mine personally.
0: Oh, uh, the either the one. brand's is Lola. And the last question before I let you carry on with your work day, thank you again for doing this. Do you have a life motto or mantra that you apply, uh, either in business and personal life, uh, anything that you kind of find a little, uh, peace in, I would say.
1: I don't have a life motto. Um, I guess I have two things that, um, stand out to me as like semi mottos. One is um, I strongly believe that you can craft your own experience, so you you should always be focused on driving your own life to whatever outcome you want. And um, some things are luck, but a lot of things are self driven. Um, and the other one is don't waste time.
0: Yeah, self explanatory. I think you do have a mantra. Those I don't know. Are, if the,
1: I don't know if those are my mantras, but those are two things I feel yeah, very those, strongly those about. Those are
0: great <laughs> focus points. Thank you again for doing this.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. there you have it episode 21 in the books this is starting to be a a pretty long book despite that episode being on the shorter side it was something that we wanted to try out Alex had a pretty limited amount of time and I kind of like the shorter episode length so I'm going to play around with that if you liked it let me know if not let me know hopefully you did that that would be uh, unfortunate if you didn't anyway before I let you go if you could rate me five stars in iTunes, I'd really appreciate it. Follow me on Spotify. Share out the Tartar Project. Post it in your stories. Tweet it all day. I really appreciate it. Phil Toronto, see you next week.